This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We are in Revelation, the last two chapters for our Advent focus. Heaven, help us. Revelation means the unveiling of what is hidden. I would like to unveil what has been hidden for weeks, and that is that Aaron Kruger and Arch Owen are behind our technology for sound and video, and I want us to be able to acknowledge thanks to both of you and what you do. You're hidden no more. So we are looking at the, the, the chapter 21. This is bringing to an end what we have seen for 20 chapters. A great shadow, a problem, lies over the world. The problem of sadness and death, of human sin and spiritual evil. Revelation 21, the remedy is complete. The end has come. We pick up with chapter 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this. For these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things. I will be their God and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that by the Holy Spirit, this word may become true 
and sure for us and that we may make the decision and that we may be more than conquerors through Jesus who came and died and rose for us. We pray in your name. Amen. Yogi Berra, a famous New York Yankee catcher, said, it ain't over till it's over. But I have to ask, what's it like while we wait for it to be over? We're waiting for an end to the deadly pandemic and to the crazy life that it has thrown at us. We're waiting for an end to wildfires and hurricanes. We're waiting for an end to a divisive, contested presidential election. It ain't over till it's over. But how do we wait until then? Is it with fear or with hope? What marks Christian waiting? Hunter, our seven-year-old grandson, waits with fear. Whenever he watches a movie series such as Star Wars or Harry Potter, when a frightening scene begins, Hunter hops out of the armchair in the middle of the den and dashes into the kitchen. He then peeks his head around the corner and from a distance looks intermittently at the television screen until he sees the tension resolve and the good guys are winning. I asked Hunter about this, and he said, it starts off scary, but it turns out good in the end. How do you know that it will turn out good in the end, I asked. His reply, because it always does. J.R.R. Tolkien, he echoed this conviction in his trilogy, Lord of the Rings. After the ring is destroyed at Mount Doom, in what looks like the death of the hobbits, Sam Ganges wakes up in his own bed in the Shire. He's surprised to be alive. He's even more surprised to see Gandalf smiling down upon him. Sam declares, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What happened to the world? Gandalf said, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. This brings us to our scripture readings from Mark 13 and Revelation 21. And from them we see that suffering comes before the end. The second thing we see is then, in the end, 
comes all that we hoped for. The third thing, it answers the question, how then shall we live? First, suffering comes before the end. Mark 13, verse 24 and following. But in those days, after the suffering, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Chapter 13 of the Gospel according to Mark, Jesus is foretelling the coming destruction of Jerusalem. It was fulfilled in 70 A.D. Jesus then foretells the great suffering that's coming upon the whole world before the end of time, when time itself will be rolled up like a scroll. Suffering comes before the end. I mentioned that the first 20 chapters of Revelation, they show suffering from persecution, from hunger, from inequity, from human violence, from natural disaster, from demonic influence and divine retribution. Suffering comes before the end. How then shall we live? In fear or in hope? I'm reading a book loaned to me by Jeanette, Janine Cunningham. It's Doris Kern Goodwin's book, Leadership in Turbulent Times. It features Abraham Lincoln and three other presidents. Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in January 1863. Now, what Lincoln did not anticipate was the suffering that would follow. He meant it for good, but suffering increased. By the spring of 1864, this nation was in a time of physical and spiritual depletion, darkness, and death. By that summer's end, there were more than a million, 50,000 dead, wounded, captured, missing in action. In a nation that was only 31 million, desperation gave rise to a mad cry for peace at any cost, the Republican Party warned Lincoln that if the nation was to survive and the war to end, he had to stop advocating for the abolition of slaves. What did Lincoln do when suffering increased? Did he give in to hope? Did he give in to fear? Did he hold on to hope? Lincoln held on to hope. And we know the end of the war came. We know the 13th Amendment was ratified. But what about your own suffering? Suffering comes before the end, but the end does come. This week in the Boston Globe, Yvonne Abram, Abraham wrote an article about the empty chairs that we had around our Thanksgiving tables this week. We had empty chairs because it was too high a risk to travel. 
We had empty chairs, even if our loved ones were just miles away, because we stayed apart to protect one another in hope of a grand reunion next year. Now, think of next year's reunion. Does it fill you with anticipation when this sanctuary is going to be full again and it is safe to greet one another in the passing of the peace? If we lose sight of what is to come, we can lose our way in the present. Biblical hope is full of anticipation of what is to come that is not based on circumstance but is based on God himself and God's promise to us. Hope is disciplined waiting with the full expectation of receiving. Now, what is it that we are to receive? It's something much greater than next year's Thanksgiving celebration. It's a home in God's presence forever. It's the marriage feast of the Lamb that never ends. Christ is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. The celebration begins, Revelation 21. Who do you look forward to seeing there? Will it be your spouse who's gone on ahead of you? Will it be your parents, your grandparents, your children, your spiritual mentors and friends? My mother-in-law, Nell Singleton, was confined to a wheelchair at an early age due to painful, deforming rheumatoid arthritis. She entered into glory when Jim was only 25. Before her death, she wrote a description of herself dancing in heaven, not on a dance floor, but barefoot in the grass near a field of daffodils, with a sign that read, please pick. Such was her hope. The end does come when suffering is past and joy has no bounds. Do you know this hope? The second point is then, in the end, comes all that we hoped for. Mark 13, 26, 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds. Then is Jesus' second coming. We will see him without disguise. In his first coming, which we celebrate at Christmas, God the Son came in disguise. He came incarnate. It was not until I was in my 30s that I actually understood incarnation. We know carne in Latin means flesh, meat. He came in flesh. It is God with meat on, with skin on. That is his first coming. God the Son was born a virgin, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He rose again. God the Son came in disguise for our sakes so that we might experience the love of God and might receive that love that transforms us by his power in us that we may live with him forever. You may recall the CBS News report from July of this year regarding Mary Daniel. She lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Her husband, Steve, has Alzheimer's. He's living in a care facility. The pandemic forced Mary to stop seeing Steve, which she did on a daily basis, even helping him get ready for bed each night. As the spring gave way to the summer, the separation became unbearable. And that's when Mary found a way to be with Steve. She took a job as the dishwasher in the care facility. And after cleaning dishes all day, she took off her apron to spend the evening with Steve, helping him get ready for bed. She sees how much he is improving. She sees how her love makes him feel something he missed out on when they were separated. Do you see that Jesus came in the first advent out of love for you? He came in disguise as a foot washer, a sin bearer. When he comes again, there will be no disguise. Then, in the end, comes all that we hoped for. Revelation 21, 1 and following. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were no more. The sea was no more. The first earth, first heaven, it passed away. The sea was no more. First of all, it's new. Is there anybody that needs a, a redo? If the life that you're living or the things you've experienced or the things you've done need to be made new, not just renovated, brand new, that's coming. That's coming for those who are in Christ. And the sea is no more. That sea is the symbol that we saw in Genesis 1 when there was chaos and darkness over the waters. It's the sea that represents everything that separates us from God. Everything that seems so cloudy and confusing and oppressive and destructive, the sea is gone. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. Do you know what this language represents? Nesting. It's God's nesting. You know, nesting is that word that happens when a mother sets about making room in her heart for a new one. And setting up the home 
to receive a new child. Getting everything ready so that the child feels welcome. In the second coming, God nests, making a home with us. And when he gets us home, what's number one on his agenda? Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Golly. This is God's first priority. Who knows the trouble that you've seen? Who knows the sorrow that you bear? I received a call yesterday from a dear friend of mine who's in her third year of cancer treatment for multiple myeloma. There's a crushing burden that accumulates from fighting for your life every day of your life. God knows the trouble you've seen this year, perhaps for many years. God's first order of business is to wipe the tears from your eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. In the second coming, God appears without disguise. And then, in the end, all that we hoped for comes. That brings us to our final point. How then shall we live? Well, the book of Revelation is a summary of the first 65 books of the Bible. It's not here for us to dismiss. It's telling us what we heard from Mark. Watch. Stay awake. Now, hope is the Christian response to the message. But it's not the only response available to us. We heard in verse 8 that there will be those who do not enjoy heaven. Dallas Willard, he summarizes what the Bible teaches. Quote, Hell is not an oops or a slip. One does not miss heaven by a hair, but by constant effort to avoid and escape God. End quote. Let's read again verse 8. And we'll see that it's got a definitive article, the, in front of each of the descriptions. This is to indicate a consistent character, a consistent behavior, a consistent orientation. This is not, oh, I made a mistake and transgressed or trespassed. Can I be forgiven? Yes, yes, yes. This describes those who say, no, no thanks, no thanks, no more of you, God. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
Quoting again Dallas Willard from his book, Allure of Gentleness. He helps us understand why God allows this. He writes, quotes, A part of our problem with understanding hell comes from the way we think about heaven. We think about heaven as some kind of comfortable resort. But the greatest thing about heaven is going to be the presence of God. He has allowed us to avoid him here on earth in some measure if we want to. But if you go to heaven, God's the biggest thing on the horizon. You're no longer going to be able to avoid him. And that would be supreme torture if you haven't gotten over thinking of yourself as God, end quote. How then shall we live? Well, we shouldn't postpone the decision. He's coming at a surprise time, in the middle of the night, tonight, or tomorrow, or next week, or next year, or the next. Don't postpone but a decision must be made. C.S. Lewis, he has the analogy of the author walking onto the stage after a play. Once the play is over, what's the good of saying that you're on God's side? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else Something you never conceived of comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. We've already made the choice, and it will be revealed on that day. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it. Or leave it. How do we wait? Don't postpone. Don't dismiss. Don't deny. Choose. And for all who choose, you are more than conquerors through him who loved us, who gave himself for us. You have an eternal home. The Father has sent the Holy Spirit into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are sealed, you are confirmed, you are secure. No one can snatch you from his hand. Live in this assurance. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Remember what Hunter said. It starts off scary, but it turns out good. In the end, will you take God at his word? Let us pray. What do we say? What do we say back to you when you came in disguise in your first coming and wooed us with your love? What do we say when we know that everything you said would come true, has, 
Therefore, we have confidence it will come true in the end when everything sad comes untrue. We pray for the conviction of the Spirit that we may decide to say yes. And we pray for the sustaining grace of the Spirit that we may endure for now in great hope and expectation of receiving. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.